grateful to be together in this time to worship our God, to pray together, to study his good word. Will you grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of Ephesians, chapter 5. We get a move into chapter 5 today in this great journey through such a blessed book that the Lord has provided for us in his good word. And pray as we go to God's word. Father, we just thank you for this time and space. So much is calling for our attention our affections, Lord God, that we'd be centered in Christ, that we'd be resting in you, that we'd be hungry for your word, the work of the Spirit to bring conviction and sanctification in our lives, understanding that we would grow and mature, honor you with our days. We love you. We commit this time to you, Lord. Do your work in each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul begins chapter 5 of This letter written to the believers in the region of Ephesus with the word therefore. When we see that word therefore in scripture, we should slow to consider what was just said in the preceding statement so that we can do what is about to be said based on what was just said. That's the purpose of the word therefore. Because of this, Now do this. And so what was just said in chapter 4, so that we can build on that and what we're about to be told to do. Paul began chapter 4 urging his listeners to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is saying, based on all that God has done in you and the fact that Christ is in you and at work in you, it is time for you to walk. Walk out what God has called and commissioned you to do. Christian, do you wake up each morning in tune with the fact that you are under the authority of the King of Kings? And that you belong to the king in order to do what he commands you to do with your days. Many self-professed Christians will say, uh, Jesus is my Savior. But they're guilty of still being Lord of their own lives calling their own shots, of saying, no, I'm going to do this or that the way I want to do it. if, If Jesus is truly your Savior, then He is your Lord. Um, Scripture talks about repenting of our sin and trusting our lives to Jesus Christ, believing into Him. Your belief is not just about Him. The demons believed rightly about Jesus, and they're damned forever. Your belief must be into him, meaning you die to yourself. You're no longer Lord of your own life, and he is now Lord of your life. His commands in his word are for you, and it's your joy to obey him and honor him and follow him with your days. Men and women of God, there is a divine and holy reason God gave you another day in this life. So let us walk. Let us go to work in all that He has saved and called us to do. When Paul says that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, He's not saying so that we can prove our worthiness or merit to be saved. 
He's already made absolutely clear in this very letter that we are dead in our sin. We have no ability to merit our salvation. We are saved by grace alone. The opposite is true. We, it is only by God's grace that we can live worthy of the calling to which He has called us. Paul is saying the output of our lives needs to match the input of the Lord. He's stressing that we're not just talking in good truth, personally enjoying it, benefiting by the Lord's work in our lives, but that the work of Christ is moving through us, out of us, revealing itself in how we speak and how we think and what we do. Much of the rest of chapter 4 is Paul's emphasis to, to practice and to realize that we have to put off the old self, the old sinful man, and put on the new self in Christ. There's an active practice of this. Making war at the flesh, clinging to Christ, focused on Christ, as Jeremy spoke of earlier, every step of the way. Because we are new in Christ and empowered in the Holy Spirit, Paul says now as we move into chapter 5, therefore, be imitators of God. What does it mean to imitate? It means to copy or to simulate another. The Greek word here for imitate is where we get the word mimic. We are to be imitators, to be mimics of God. The, the, entire, the entirety of the Christian life can really be summed up in this one statement. Be imitators of God. Many theologians and commentators call this statement the highest standard in the world. The sum of all duty. The ultimate ideal. We are to put away what is decrepit, what is sinful, what is selfish. And instead we are to imitate the one who is holy and perfect and sacrificial in love. Our Lord Jesus said it most clearly in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 48, when he says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Peter built on this very point in his letter, his first letter, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. To be an imitator of God is to act like God who is holy and just and loving. What we must see clearly, church, is that this is not a call to imitate, now listen carefully, his incommunicable attributes. Why? Because his incommunicable attributes are simply and fully unattainable by created man. What are those incommunicable attributes? Things like God's self-existence. Created man does not self-exist. His self-sufficiency, his eternality, he was and is and is to come. That God had no beginning, he has no end. We will never attain these things, they belong to God alone. So Paul's call then to imitate God is related to his communicable attributes. These are his moral attributes, such as love wisdom, mercy, goodness, kindness, justice. What is the ultimate 
bar for which you are living is a way you could consider this. What is the ultimate standard in your life? According to Scripture, the bar is the perfection of God. There is nothing and no one who is greater or more perfect. The standard for created man is the Creator Himself. The problem is, in our sin, we have all fallen far short of God's perfection. This is the clear statement that we all know in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That perfect standard of God. We have fallen short. It's the very definition of sin. To fall short or miss the mark. But we've got to understand that Missing the mark is not how you stack up next to your neighbor or someone else who's created, but how you stack up compared to the holy God. See, we're quick to go, man, I feel like I'm doing pretty good when I look left and I look right. But that's not the bar. That's not the standard. The standard, according to Scripture, is God's perfection. When we sin, we don't just miss the bullseye of God's holy standard and get part of the target. No, that standard is so high that we fall short of the entire target of God's perfection. And we end up in the ground, in the dirt. It is not until we understand who God is that we gain a real understanding of the seriousness or the depth of our sin Mankind is guilty of thinking that we're much better than we are. Not until we take God seriously will we really take sin seriously. But if we acknowledge the righteous perfection of God, then we, like the saints of old, will cover our mouths with our hands, repent in dust and ashes before Him. The reality is that many are sinfully and selfishly satisfied to sinfully live their lives, avoiding the idea of the holy standard of God. Even for many self-professed Christians, they don't take seriously the new life they've been given that empowers them to imitate God and grow in righteousness. You'll hear among Christians this this talk of 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 putting away the the. the the call to perfection. And that's an unbiblical way of thinking. The call is to perfection. We need to see that biblically. And see how much we fall short in our own efforts. And so if you're already going, how do I fulfill this call to imitate God? I'm just, I'm so short of that. Is this even... How do I even do this? And the reality is you only do it because of Christ in you, Christian. But you can. And you should. This is the walk of our days, the maturity of our faith, the sanctification of our lives. For the saved and the redeemed Christian, we are to make the most of our days that God gives us. To make the most of the life He's entrusted to us. And we do this by imitating God. Where's your bar, Christian? Is it too short? Is it too low? See the bar this morning. You were to imitate God. Nothing less, nothing else. And when your brother or sister reminds you of that call, you don't get to say, well, yeah, that's just not going to happen. That's just not where I'm at. That's you pushing away this very command in Scripture that we see here today. And if you belong to Christ, you don't get to do that. You are to honor it and understand it and and be convicted and confronted unto it, not justifying sin, not making your own way. One of the most dangerous places you can be in your Christian life is to be content with your current level of sanctification. Now we need to be content in life because we have Christ and because Christ is enough. Amen? 
This is true, but sanctification needs to be ongoing. You need not to get level two and go, hey, I'm good. I'll just, I'll just ride this level. I'm good. No. You, you don't get to decide that. The call on you, God's command on you, is to keep growing, to imitate God. Are you there yet? Are you like God? You don't have to answer that. The answer for all of us is no. So we have more growing to do. So let me just ask you, make it personal for you. Are you guilty of being too content with your level of growing and righteousness? With your level of study, being discipled? Are you done learning to imitate God? Christian, if you are, then you need to see the the laziness in that. You need to see the pride in that. The arrogance of it. Again, I want to ask you, what is your standard for living? Who are, what are your eyes on? Your target? Do you, do you simply want to be a good person? And if so, how do you decide what the standard of a good person is? Do you want to be like your father or like your mother? Maybe someone else you look up to. If we belong to Christ, then our goal for living, our bar, needs to be being imitators of God. It needs to be becoming more and more Christ-like. This is why God prescribed the practice of discipleship as the central focus of the New Covenant Church. To think that you are going to mature and grow in sanctification outside of this very vehicle He's commissioned us to to humbly be part of is, is to think wisely in your own eyes. It's to find your own path. No, God knows better. His vehicle for us is discipleship. The core purpose of Christian discipleship is becoming more and more like Christ. A disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another, a follower, a learner, an understudy. Do you see that you're in that season? And if you are a learner or a follower, who are you following? What are you learning? You can't say, I'm going to school, but you never open your books. You never go to class. You never spend time with your teachers. See? What are you doing with your days just going to work just a little time around the table at the end of the day is not enough it's too it's too temporary focused we need to be maturing in our faith church to be imitators of god a disciple is someone who's trained to be like christ Paul emphasizes this very thing in chapter 4, verse 13. Ephesians 4, 13. We are to grow to mature manhood. And what is mature manhood? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's what Paul clarifies in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, when he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You should only imitate another who is mature in their faith walk to the degree that they help you be more like Christ. Because the goal ultimately is not to be like a mentor, a coach, a parent, a favorite person who is awesome at life. It is to be like God. Discipleship is not so you can be like your disciple maker. It's so that you can imitate and follow them and cherish their wisdom and their counsel and their coaching in a God-ordained practice of learning so that you can better imitate Christ. Church, some Christians over the years have wrongly declared discipleship's just not for them. They're finding a way to go about their days outside of it. 
See with me that this attitude is prideful and it's lazy. Because what you're saying is what God has prescribed for me is not what I want to do with my time. I'm not interested in being coached and being pressed into greater layers of Christ's righteousness, Christ's likeness. Now, while leadership discipleship, the kind of training we do at a certain level to dig deeper and wider to raise up leaders, disciple makers, deacons, elders, that's not for everybody. While that might not be for you, discipleship is for every Christian. Why? Because every Christian is to imitate God. And God's design for us is that we don't do that on our own. Let me, let me just give you some things to consider, some helps to take some further steps. I'm going to talk to a couple different groups for a moment. Number one, for you who are older, I'll let you decide who that means. Are you decided that you've essentially grown enough in your faith? Are you beyond being discipled? There's a reason why more disciples are younger. It's not because they're better at it. It's just because they're more humble to be coached. A, a more advanced in years person has that many more years to be decided that they like the life they live and the way they do it, and they don't really want that messed with. Are you guilty of starting to pull back in your older age, starting to become a little more focused on you, on retirement, on some of your selfish desires? Hear me remind you lovingly, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. These days that you're living, even in your older age, belong to Him. You are to imitate God. You will stagnate without God-given ways to grow in righteousness so that you can imitate God. If anything, in your older years, as you're maturing in faith, you should learn more of what this is and be doing more of what it is than the younger person in their ignorance or youth just doesn't get yet. I'll also speak to you who are younger. I'll let you decide who that is. Are you guilty of saying, I'm going to get to that a little later? I see the need for it. But I'll, I'll get there later. Let me, let me do my childhood years or my teenage years or my college years or my young adult years. I'll, I'll get there. No, no. Christian who's younger, God's given you today. And so you should imitate God today in different layers of discipleship and sanctification. Got to break bread and spend time through an hour of tears with one of our uh, beloved newer brothers in Christ whose 18-year-old son died last week. Young ones, God's given you today. What are you doing with that? To imitate God. To make the most of these hours of who you are in Christ and where you stand before God. God's ordained way that he wants the saints to grow is through discipleship. What are the tools of discipleship that he's given us? Let me remind you of a few. Number one, daily Bible reading. 
Where is this in your life? Are you guilty of putting this in convenient places where you remember to grab it to bring it to church? Some of you still don't even bring it to church. Do you know where it is? Do you spend time in it? Are your pages getting all messed up, worn out? Because you're, you're feasting on the Word of God, you're maturing, you're being reoriented by the truths of God regularly. Tuning into our disciples' Bible reading plan is a helpful way to do that. Are you using tools that we provide for you, like the Word of Truth Catechism, to study, memorize, and understand the truths of God? Are you committed to Sunday worship, specifically sitting under your shepherd's teaching? Or are you guilty of too often sleeping in, playing light, planning vacations, playing hooky from church? These should be rare occasions, church, where we miss the best day of the week to be in the fellowship of the saints, to sit under your shepherd's teaching. God has designed that one of the primary ways you grow is to sit under the teaching of the word. You pay me well to study and pray and write to preach. Almost half of my week is devoted to this hour with you. Why? Because it's a major part of how you mature in the faith. Are you playing light with that? Do you come ready? Do you go to bed early enough to be awake? Do you bring something to take notes on? Are you chewing through what we've studied? Are you going back to it? Are you asking questions of one another? Are you responding with action and not just hearing? Midweek gathering, we teach a lesson. We've got a devoted team of five of our brothers in Christ who spend sometimes up to 40, 50, 60 hours to write one lesson for midweek so that you could learn the truths of God as we work through the Word of Truth Catechism and other parts of God's Word, do you cherish that teaching, that time that you can grow? Some of you have said, well, I've been through it already. I get it. I've been studying these things my whole life. I would say back to you until you've either memorized it and or are ready to stand up here and teach it yourself, you have more growing to do. Midweek groups is the perfect place to be known by others, to have a group leader you can lean into and seek for counsel, to be known by others, to know others, to practice those one another's in a more intimate circle, and pursue the further layers of discipleship. Further layers of discipleship or study are, are case by case. They're different per individual. They're different for different seasons. Often that's with your group leader. Sometimes it's with other mature believers in the church. Christian, how are you growing in sanctification and discipleship? What are you committed to doing so that you are growing and imitating God? We can't stay still. We must be growing in maturity and sanctification and righteousness. Here are Paul's words in the second letter of the Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Now, quickly, how do we work against being imitators of God? Two quick points. I could say a lot, but I need to keep moving. Number one, we're guilty of conforming our minds to the world instead of to the Word. Romans 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, what are you doing to conform your thinking, your worldview, to the, to the truths of God and not to the ways of the world? Are you guilty of spending way too much time in front of, in front of different forms of media instead of growing in godly relationships and in His Word? 
Hear the words of Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I'll press it this way this week. How many hours have you spent in front of the Word or in godly relationships digging in versus time in front of your television, news media feeds? Where have you been living, Christian? Where's your hope? Where's your strength? Where's your focus? Do you see how we're guilty of sitting among the seed of scoffers, standing in the way of sinners too much? We're, we're getting drawn back into the fold. No, we are to be different. We are to be set apart. Our good news, our joy, our hope, our, our peace is in Christ. Amen? Again, some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor, I'm pretty good. I don't really run with secular people like I used to, not in a way where they have influence over me. But again, how much are you consuming the ways of the world and what you're watching? News, internet blogs, streaming services, social media, politics of the moment. Maybe to the point where it's all you do lately. can't stop thinking about it it's consuming you this is to be too caught up in the world worried upset undone we have christians in scripture whose friends were being beheaded and they had the peace of the lord are are your neighbors are your children being dragged in the streets and their heads cut off Because even still, we should have the peace of the Lord. We're far from that. Not to say that what's happening in the world or the way things are going is good or God-honoring, but God is on the throne, and His will will be done. Are you deepening your roots into Christ alone, into His Word? Are you conforming your mind to the truths of God? Christian, hope in God, not in this world. Trust in God, not in this world. Imitate God, not this world. I'm very thankful for the ways I see many of you leaning in to grow in holiness and righteousness. New steps that some of you are taking. New excuses you've, or excuses you've put away to, to have new commitments, new disciplines to be growing. There's fruit in that. It's happening. It's shaping you. Praise God for this. You're humbly seeking counsel. You're being accountable to your shepherds, to the body around you. And as a result, you are looking more and more like Christ. May this be the reputation of the members of Disciples Church. May each of us do our part to be imitators of God. Now Paul brings clarity as to how we can even attempt to do this and what he says next. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We are to imitate God, watch this, as beloved children. You can imitate God because you are His beloved child. It's so important that you understand your position as an adopted child of God. Let me remind us what Paul has said about this. Back in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 4 and 5, he said, In love, He, God, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. The term adoption in Scripture coincides with the idea of sonship. This is a good thing. It means that we are formally, legally completely a member of the eternal family of God. But it's more than just belonging. It means that we are heirs, participants in His glory. In our adoption, we are brought into His favor, into His blessing. We enjoy a restored relationship with Him forever as objects of His electing love and His saving grace. See, if if earlier in the sermon you're really overwhelmed by like, man, I'm so far from imitating God. You don't do that on your own. You do that 
as a beloved child of God, empowered by Christ, the Holy Spirit, growing in the truths and the accountability of the body, what he saved you into. Paul speaks of adoption and sonship in other places like Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who have the Spirit of God, meaning they're saved by God, are born again. They have the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't dwell in an unbeliever. They're believers. They're redeemed. They're no longer slaves to sin. They now belong to God. Christ is at work. He says that we're sons of God when we are believers, when we're saved. This is the language throughout the Old and New Testament. When the Bible talks about the sons of Abraham or the sons of God, he's talking about being an heir of the promises of God. The blessings has been prepared. In that culture, it was formerly the firstborn son that would receive the inheritance or at least the major portion of it. So when in the New Testament, you see Paul saying, others saying that we're sons of God or adopted as sons, know that this applies to you if you are saved. Male and female, ladies, this is for you too. You want that to be applied to you. You want the inheritance of the Son. It's not just for the men, it's for all of the elect of God, all who are saved. The imperishable eternal existence as heirs of God because we are now sons of God in Christ. Romans 8, 15-17, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, providing we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We who are redeemed and adopted into God's family call God Father. He's our Father. And we are His children. Consider with me the beautiful gift that it is to be legally adopted by God as Father. Think about that. The God of the universe, the ruler of all things, the great and mighty I Am, is your Father if you belong to Christ. Don't miss the potency of this reality. It is the bedrock of how you begin to imitate God. See, many in the room don't have a healthy blood family situation. You might not even know your blood family. You don't know or maybe don't like your father. You don't know what it's like to have a faithful, loving father But my prayer is that you would see what you have in your adoption in Christ. That you have now a perfect, faithful, devoted, loving, present, heavenly Father. You are His beloved child. And so, as a good and faithful child would do, you are to imitate Him. Paul says we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. Brother, sister in Christ, do you realize just how loved you are? Stop hearing it and then putting it away. Hear it and let it change you. Do you rightly and fully see that you are a beloved child of God? There needs to be no doubt in the slightest within you regarding the depth of God's love for you. You who are His redeemed, adopted child. How can I say this so confidently? Because of what Scripture has to say about what He did to show you His love. Listen to verses that you know, but with new ears. And let it knock you over. Feel the deep love of God for you. He so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes into Him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 
Romans 5.8, God showed his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He so loved you that while you were his enemy, actively sinning, he sent his only begotten son to die for you. Are you guilty of thinking God can't love you when you're in struggling times of sin? Because that's to not listen to what you just read. While you were actively disobedient, actively against him, he loved you so much he sent his son to die for you. Praise God that his love is based on him and not on us. 1 John 4.10, And this is love, not that you have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Church, see with me that there is no masking the depth and the breadth of God's love for you. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. He sent His only begotten Son to suffer and die in your place so that you could be ransomed. You could be adopted as His beloved child. He loves you more than anyone has ever loved you in this lifetime. And likely more than you will ever be able to fully comprehend. And so are you caught up in your circumstances? Are you caught up in your daddy issues? Are you caught up in the jacked up family that you grew up in? See and embrace the new family you have. The eternal family you have. The better family that you have in Christ. So that out of that love you would be imitators of God. No longer living out of the old man, but in the new man. See how this teaching, this, this commendation continues to build on what was just said. Why do we imitate God? Because He is our holy and faithful Father. Because we are His kids of grace. He's drawn us near. He's so present and loving and faithful. And now we can long to mimic Him. To grow to be more and more like Him. Paul continues, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. The word walk here means to live. It's all-encompassing. It's, it's what you think. It's what you say. It's what you do. We're to do it in love. And what is love? I won't sing to you, but I'll read to you. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Can I encourage you to stop and not think of those that you love to love? I want you to think of those who you struggle to love. Neighbors, coworkers, friends, family, enemies. Let's start over. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. 
the description of love I just read is that love is selfless, it's sacrificial. What you must understand is that this kind of love is impossible if you don't know God. Why? Because of what John said in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We understand that God is love. God is, present tense, love. Love is not just not just from Him, that's too narrow. It's not something He conjured up and gave to us to put to work. It is God. It's not just an action of God, it's His nature. You might know something about the counterfeit love that mankind outside of God conjured up and packaged and sells and tries to live out. But real love is like God. It's holy. It's just. It's perfect. If you want true love in your life, you need a living relationship with God. And if you have God, then you will love like He does. It says to know God is to know love. Is that your testimony, Christian? Psalm 36, 7-9, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust in the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures, for with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light shall we see light. King James Version of that passage. The love and kindness that God is is precious. Under the wing of God, we're satisfied. The fatness, the abundance, the spillover of the love of God, the satisfaction of the Holy Trinity within itself runs over, and we shall drink and be pleased and know life and love like never before, and it will change us and it will move through us. First John 4, 9-10 In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To know real love, you must know God. To know God, you must be spiritually awakened by God from your spiritual depravity, death and sin. And in His grace, He gives you eyes to see and ears to hear. You see the gospel, you savor it, you say yes. So you repent of your sin and you trust your life to Christ. If you are here today and you've not done that, I don't care how many years you've logged in church, how many chapters of the Bible you've read in your lifetime, have you confessed your sin and trusted your life to Christ to be saved? If not, repent and believe and be saved. Only in God do we know true love. Only out of the overflow of God does the church then love one another, love our enemies, walk in love, as we're commanded to do here. Paul is clear. Walk in love. Our, our love then is to have feet. It's not just to be a good idea, a lofty ideal for our days. No, it has to be real. Young ones, do you love your siblings? It's not okay to say, I, I love God, I'm growing in God, and I go home, and, and I'm an absolute nightmare to my siblings. No, do you love them? And if you really struggle with that, then that's where you mature and grow and confess and ask for accountability and repent a lot and ask for forgiveness a lot. I see a lot of you smiling at each other. This is true. It needs to go to work. It needs to have feet. You don't get to put it off. You don't get to laugh at it. You own it. Christ in you goes to work. Adults, it might not be as funny, but how many of you need to do business with this with your siblings? 
or family members? Are you claiming to be maturing in Christ and you have unresolved relationships, unresolved hurt? You are not leading in love in those relationships? Walking in love. Our love has to be real, has to be present, has to be an unavoidable force. If the church is going to do anything for God's fame and His eternal glory, we must be about love. It is simply not an option. Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, pretty impressive, but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. I've been praying that for some of you, in all the ways you've been growing in the Lord, that what God has for you today is to see that your true imitating of God, your true maturity and faith, can't go forward unless you do business with how are you walking in love. And then we'll do this not as we want to do, as we're comfortable to do, Or as the world does it, we'll do it as Christ has done it. And how is that? Look with me at the next part of the verse. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. How did Christ show us his love? He gave himself up for us. How are you to walk in love to give yourself up for others? John 15 13, greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. I want to point out that the love of God is shown not only in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, but in the, of the cross, but also in his incarnation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let me circle back to those that you're having a hard time loving. Likely you're guilty of thinking, I'll do that when they show up to the party. I'll do that when they start to perform. Like I said last week, praise God that God didn't wait for that to happen for us. No, you are to love them as God has loved you. As Christ has died for you. See Christ's love to take on flesh, to humble himself, to become poor, so that his sacrificial love would would allow us to become spiritually rich. See Christ's love modeled to the disciples as he calls them to a life of sacrificial love for others. In John chapter 13, 12 through 15, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. If we are truly submitted to Jesus as Lord, we will follow Him and live like Him and love like Him. In this, we will continue the work He modeled and began. We will point others to Him as we love like Him. I love how Piper spoke to this instance in Scripture, this testimony Speaking of Christ, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. In other words, he's reminding them, I have the high standing. I'm the leader, the boss. I have the high rank in relationship to you. This has not changed. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
If I who from my high standing have gone low in serving you, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You also are to go low. For I have given you an example that you also should should do just as I have done to you. So this is really clear. Jesus is high. His rank is high. His standing is high. And therefore, by ordinary standards of this world, he should be served. But instead, he contradicts the ordinary standards of the world, and he serves. From his height, he goes low. From his high standing, he goes low to serve. Do we desire to love and serve like Jesus? Or do we make excuses? Do we pull rank? Churches are privileged to follow our Master's example. If it is, we too will go low. We will stop making people earn it. We'll stop waiting for them to take the first step. We will be the instigation of change and reformation in the relationship. We'll do that by the power of Christ in us. Not by how it goes or how badly it goes in all of its first, second, middle steps. Church, do you see him saying? He's saying, imitate me. See the example. His example is not this specific thing of washing feet. Like that's the only takeaway from this. You're to wash each other's feet. It's bigger than that. It's, it's the example of a humble life ready to go low in sacrificial love for others. A.W. Pink said it this way, As ever ready as we are to lift up the skirts of a brother and say, See how soiled his feet are? But much exercise of soul, much judging of ourselves is needed for such lowly work as this. I have to get down to my brother's feet if I'm going to wash them. That means the flesh in me must be subdued. Consider this, church. If the greatest could minister to the least, how much more should the lesser minister to his or her equal? Jesus is shouting with his actions, this is how we love each other in my kingdom. No more selfishness. No more pride. No more excuses. No more entitlement. Just other-centered sacrificial love. Church, this is possible for you and I. Even when you're the leader, even when you're the best at what you do, even when you are in high demand, when others are meant to do it, it is possible for us to love and lead and serve like this because of who Jesus is and what He is doing in and through us. Man, can I talk to you for a moment? We need this today. We need to be reminded that our leadership in our home or over all the things that the Lord's entrusted to us needs to follow Christ's example of sacrificial love and service. I know that your flesh is saying, well, if I do this that way, I'm going to lose my clout as the leader. But I've said it before, I'll say it again, not for one moment in that room did any of those disciples not know who their leader was. Servanthood doesn't nullify leadership in Christ's kingdom. It defines it. Jesus doesn't cease to be the Lion of Judah when he becomes the lamb-like servant of the church. Amen? If our masters serve like this, then surely we should too. How can we say we're above what he did? We are not. We are to imitate our Lord. This is our call. This is our priority. Finally, see with me, the sacrificial love Christ showed us is the love that we are to live out, and in this it glorifies God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We exist, church, to glorify God. 
to make much of his name and his fame, to honor him, to obey him. Church, see with me that your sacrificial love, the evidence of Christ at work in and through you and I, is what a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God looks like. Modeled for us by Christ himself. See with me that you don't do these things ultimately for them. You don't even do them for you. You do them so that God is glorified. Why do you go low and do the very thing you don't want to do in your flesh? Why do you sacrifice to the person who doesn't deserve it? Because it is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's why. Church, we need to get outside of ourselves, outside of our circumstances. We need to stop evaluating whether we should sacrifice or not, depending on how it's going to impact us, what it's going to do. This is selfishness. This is sin. This is doing what's pleasing to us. We exist to do what's pleasing to God. We belong to God. We are to imitate God. Stand with me. I want to read to you Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, as we prepare to worship in closing. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself even further, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time together in your holy word. Oh, what a glorious day it is because we are with you, the holy God, with our adopted family studying your holy word, singing songs and saying prayers to you, the holy God. Our our world, our culture, even much of washed out so-called Christianity is in love with this idea of putting away holiness. Of just doing what feels good or what comes natural or what we're with no lord let us see the standard is your holiness your perfection your glory and that in christ we can imitate you we can love like you we can glorify you and in this divine time that you've appointed for us that you have moved mightily that you will love us enough to not leave us alone today that you've wrecked us, you will continue to wreck us, convict us and move us and motivate us unto a life that is obedient to your word, walking in these statutes and commands and living for you with these days. That one of the sweetest things to come out of this time would be humble confession of sin. Leaders in homes to sit with their 
wives and children to say, I have been missing the mark. I want to better imitate God and so lead and love you. Pray for me as I want to do this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, repenting, confessing sin, humbling themselves to simply just say what has been missing the mark and to share a longing that Christ's love would go to work in and through us. That those we have such contention with animosity towards would would know truth and love like they haven't known it before because of how Christ is moving in and through us. For those dead in sin, Lord, I pray you would bring life, saving faith, new birth. For those born again, adopted sons and daughters, beloved, that we would walk in these things, go to work in imitating you, mature until you call us home. Hear us as we worship you, as we bathe in the glory of these truths that they would wash over us and move out of us with real elation, with real joy, tenderness, and humility, and praise. Here we are, God. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray.